Talking Finance with Brian Hirsch, making sense of your finance. Brian Hirsch, a very good morning to you. Thanks to you. Nice. Hello, Brian. Or did you work yesterday? Oh, there we go. I can hear you better now. Sorry, we missed the whole part of of your opening because uh, the, the connection you. to you wasn't great. I just want to know whether you worked yesterday or you were able to have a long weekend. Oh, I'm such a slave, Brian. I was working. Okay, well, yeah, I, I was working, you know. Girls got to do what a girl's got to do. I mean, slavery was abolished in the 19th century. <laughs> well, well, you know, we remain slaves of capitalism today. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, I think I'm having an issue with your line. Can you hear me loud and clear? I can hear you loud. You're not hearing yeah. me? No, I'm not hearing you. The, the The line is breaking at points. But you can, you, you can of course, try and go for it. This morning, um, we're focusing on something that I know certainly piqued my interest um, in terms of what do the wealthy and the affluent do in order to retain their wealth and most importantly to grow it. I imagine that they're important lessons that we can all learn from that. Kathy, very simply, you've got to first understand that wealth means something very different to each person. Um, there's relative wealth. I mean, to a very rich man, a little bit of money, it doesn't mean a lot. And to a very poor man, a small amount means a lot. So wealth is relative. It's all about your own situation. But there are common things that are done uh, by all. And just to let you know the type of rules that you've got to stick to. And critical in these times, the first rule of all is if you do not, if you do not have savings and you do not have sufficient income, do not borrow money to spend. And that is the golden rule of, of not only your budget, but of investing. Don't borrow to, to spend and therefore don't expect that you're able to invest. Avoid buying, um, um, people who are saving, avoid buying on impulse and uh, resisting the, the sales signs. Uh, I think what's important um, is that budget. Um, but just remember, everyone's got a different type of lifestyle. Um, but some just save to maintain their current lifestyle, which means you need to save for events that are going to happen. Uh, start saving now for the end of your holiday. Uh, what about next year? You're going to have to be saving again for school fees and uniforms and the like. So, um, and then others save financial freedom to do what they want to do. Um, and then lastly, others build for future generations. And I don't think that is a big thing in South Africa. I mean, there are wealthy generations that come through, but the majority of working South Africans save not because they want to create for other generations. If you want to create assets for other generations, you're young, you can buy life insurance, which you should have anyway. And everyone's circumstances are so different. However, there are a few common principles. Most individuals who create wealth during their lifetime created it in their businesses or the occupation, but they know very little about financial planning. Someone who's made money in the engineering world, who's a builder, who's an a, 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 a electrician, um, who's a plumber, um, even lawyers, even doctors, 
doesn't mean that they've made money that they understand what they how to go about it. And as I said last week, everyone should have a financial planner and you need to get the right expert advice. Um, I think the second rule, which is very important, is do not try and do it yourself because you will get sucked in to those things that everyone's talking about. Uh, everyone's talking about, as we know, they're talking about Bitcoin uh, globally. They talk about investing in Tesla and things like that. But if you don't know anything about it, be very, very careful. Um, learn to leverage your assets. Now, there's nothing wrong to, to buy a home, take a bond on a property if you can afford the, the deposit and you know that if you have a property, you may not have a tenant for a while. There will be maintenance costs. But the best way of creating wealth in the first in, in time to come is the principle of leverage. This involves using good debt for money that you know you can afford if you don't have a tenant, but you build up assets where someone else is actually paying the bond on your property. Then you need to also understand protecting your wealth. As your earnings grow and network increases, so you should, uh, your insurance and legacy planning prospects are, are critical. Uh, that's a very important rule. Um, and then diversify your investments. It's no, no, no point putting all your eggs in one basket. I have clients who've got three different bank accounts. Uh, I don't know what they, that's not diversification. Diversification is understanding I need income if I need, and I want certainty, then I'm going to be very conservative. If I don't need the income, now I can afford to be more growth oriented. And too few take enough risk in terms of that strategy. To invest in markets, to invest in markets through Satrix and Unit Trust and be globally invested, if you've got a long-term time horizon, that's how you're going to create wealth. You're not going to create any wealth, any financial freedom by sitting with your money in the bank. Your bank is there to give you income, which you want, as I said, you want certainty, but certainly not there to create long-term wealth. Mm -hmm. And that's the rules that so many people have done and, and, and are very, very principled and very, very consistent in their savings. They take a lot more risk on, and it doesn't mean you're taking on risky investments. It just means you're looking for more growth and you need growth assets. Your growth assets are going to come from property and from equities. So, Brian, I want us to go back to the issue of property. And remember, if you're listening to this conversation, you can get in touch with us on 011-714-2006. That's 011-714-2006. You can send your SMSs on 41391. And on the WhatsApp line, it's 614 So on the issue of property, Brian, they, you know, sometimes there are big questions over should you be able to buy a property um, if when you are out of a tenant, you may struggle in terms of keeping up that property? So at which point do you make the call to stay with a particular property or to let it go? Well, look, we, we're not talking about your lifestyle property. We're, not, we're talking about a property that we call 
an investment property. Yes. Look, you've got, you know, where you're already in a situation where your costs are exceeding your income, you don't have a tenant. It's not only your tenant. Remember, there's maintenance on the mm, property. Mm. Also, remember, there are rates and taxes. There's electricity. There's water. If you don't have a tenant, you've got to pay for that. Remember, interest rates can go up. If you've got a bond on that property at the moment, we're in a very favorable position because interest rates are low. But the chances are in two to three years' time. Well, sometimes you've got to cut your losses. If you finding really that you've got a property and that property is you you keep cutting tenants coming and going there's a lot of maintenance sometimes you've got to just cut your losses but from an investment point of view you've got to do the following calculations you're going to put a deposit down you must always put a deposit down on an investment property so you bring down the cost of the bond Mm -hmm. you've got to work out what the rentals are in that area because you've got to be competitive. Don't think you can get 10,000 rand for your property if everyone else on the road is getting 7,000. Mm-hmm. So you've got to understand the rental market. You've then got to have a buffer. That buffer is to subsidize any maintenance on the property or for those periods that you don't have tenants. Remember, tenants have no loyalty to a property. Tenants look for the best possible deal. And if I've got a property or I've got an apartment and I'm getting 10,000 and the flat next door comes available and I can get it for eight, I'm going to move. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, you know, I've done nothing to that property. The, the, the one thing about renting a property, you've got no tenure. So if you're moving, uh, you'll move for cost. And that's why so many property people are having to bring down their rentals now. So if you are really struggling with a property, you really got to look at the, at say, well, maybe I've got to cut my losses like on everything else because it's draining the rest of my money and I don't see a long-term. Look, our property market's in the doldrum at the moment. But I'm talking about if I'm going to buy a property now, I'm going to calculate I'm going to take a bond of 700,000. It's going to cost me 8,000 rand a month. With everything else, it's going to cost me 11. Do I have a buffer of 40, 50, 60,000 to fund that period that I don't have a rent? Mm-hmm. But understanding the most important thing, if I have a tenant and my tenant is paying up with my bond, have I got a lease? It will, does that lease, lease has, have an escalation because the chances are from here, interest rates will go up. And that's what you need to do. But it's a wonderful way to gear a property. Not your private, your private, your main property, your lifestyle property is a property that you should try and pay off the bond as quickly as you can. Because an investment property where you have a bond, you can write that cost off against the income. So you can make your investment tax neutral whilst you expect growth. This is a great time to be buying properties. People are giving them away. People are just capitulating and Mm. getting out of properties. So it's certainly a good time to buy, but you've got to do your homework. It's a lot of homework. It's understanding because the three P's about property relates to position, position, position. Understand the position of that property and how it compares to other properties in that particular area. Oh, Brian, thank you so much for that. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want you to touch on the issue of diversifying income. Does that necessarily mean that people need to have more than one job? So what are the ways in which we can do that? And then I'll also be taking your calls. You're live on uh, The Talking Point, and we're talking finance with Brian Hirsch. You can get in touch with us on 11 714 Hashtag SFM Talking Point. We're talking finance with Brian Hirsch. Before we get to the issue of diversifying the income, let me quickly go to the phone lines. Anonymous, you're calling us from Pumalanga. Good morning. Morning, Katie. How are you? I'm well, thank you. 
I'm good. Uh, I just want to note on the topic today. I just want to ask something. Uh, in, uh, to ask a question to Brian Hesh. Uh, in terms of, they um, say you're getting a divorce. What happened to your, because the, 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 your partner is going to get 50% of that um, uh, money that you maybe you receive when you, you work. So now, then there's another, uh, uh, they're going to, um, make it like a loan to you mm. or uh, you're going to uh, they're going to get that half then you continue to contribute in your in your in, in, in your fund or there's a money that they're going to say okay because this this half of the money uh, is, is out now your 50 percent the 50 percent of your spouse is out then you have to pay a loan they're going to do it like a loan or what Okay, you look. You, you're obviously talking about either being married in community of property, or you came into the, you, your marriage with a cruel, and and came into that marriage with no assets. The only other way you can get married in South Africa is without a cruel, where whatever you accumulate during your married life does not get shared equally. Um, are you married in community of property? Yes, yes my, my, my friend is, uh, is married in, in community property. Okay, so you share everything equally. So on divorce, even the pension fund is shared. What would happen is, in terms of the divorce order, and it's got to be correctly registered with the insurance company, they would then offer the, 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 the spouse either the opportunity of taking half the pension and moving it to their own what they call preservation fund, in other words, not paying tax and, and preserving it in their own retirement fund, if they withdrew, they would, they would be responsible for the tax. So if there was two or 300,000, let's say 200,000, 100,000 would come out of the fund. It's not a loan from the fund. It actually make, you must make sure that it's dealt with because if it's a loan to the fund, there's, a, there's interest that is paid and who's, gonna, who's actually going to pay for that interest? I've seen a situation where interest has been paid and the interest is greater than the actual returns. So you've got to be very careful to split the fund at date of divorce so that you don't have any civil liability by doing it by way of loan. Rather do it by way of ensuring that the other spouse, whether it be male or female, gets the funds into their name and can determine whether they preserve it or alternatively take it and pay tax. Mm. All right. Oh, okay, okay. Thank you very much. Kate. All right, Anonymous, thanks for that call. Uh, Belani in Durban, good morning. Yes, good morning, Kate. Yes. Brian, this question was for last week, but I couldn't go through. I went to the bank to make an investment, and then later when I got an email to give me the details about the investment, I realized that there were fees. Did you realize that there were fees? There were fees. So the representative at the bank failed to disclose these fees to me. So now oh, I you, have complained. Oh, you realize there were fees? Yes. Yes. Okay. I thought you said they were thieves. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, they could well be thieves as well, Brian. We can't completely, you know, we can't cancel that out as well. Sorry, Belani. Sorry. Yes. Go, go ahead. So now I've complained with the bank and I also went to the consumer, the consumer protection, but no one is helping me because I 
feel that the, the representative should have disclosed these fees to me because that would have given me the choice whether I go with this type of investment or not because I'm not happy and these fees are way, 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 way too much. They, are, they eat up on the capital mm-hmm. before I make the money. So is, what can I do? Did you, is this an insurance product you bought or a banking product? It's an insurance product, but I went to the bank and the bank gave yeah. me. I went to that bank, they gave me an yeah. insurance product. Okay, well, look, what I've always said on air is because, you know, there there, there may not be financial advisors in your area, it's good to use your bank. But in terms of FASE, FASE is what governs our our behaviour, the Financial Advisory Services Act. It governs the behaviour of a financial advisor. We have to gather all the information. We may have to make sure that the advice we give you is appropriate in terms of your circumstances, and we have to disclose all the fees up front. And if they have not disclosed the fees, you've been back to Nedbank and you've told Nedbank that no one disclosed the fees to you, and after you made the investment, only then did you know about the fees. Yes. And they've taken no notice. Yes, and they've taken no notice because they well, say, because I had signed on the, uh, the record, there's a record of advice, and there's a section that says fee disclosure. And I tell them that when I signed there, I asked the representative who's going to pay those fees, and they, she said it was the bank that was going to pay it. Okay, well, look, if, uh, what you need to do now, and anyone who's got a complaint, you first have to lodge that complaint with the insurance company or the bank mm-hmm. or the institution you've done the business. You've done that now. What you need to do is you now need to write to the phase ombud. And, and, and uh, if you come off air and you give us your number, I'll give you the details of the phase on, but, and you've got to complain to the phase on, but about the financial institution who did the business with you. Uh, yes. Were the fees not filled in the form that you signed? No. And did you get a copy of that form? Yes. So you've got a form with no fees, and now you've got fees. Well, you can complain to the phase ombud, and I can assure you the phase ombud will take it up very seriously with the, with the, with the institution that you've used. And, I, you know, it's a funny thing. Institution. What is it that I'll be paying for well, if they, 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 they could take this? What is it? Because I just went to the bank to say, like, how can I invest this? And then I'm being charged. Who am I paying? Who are these fees for? Okay, just tell me, did you did you go to the bank and complain, or have you complained to the bank's head office? I complained with the branch manager. Then the branch manager referred me to Richinale, and then to the complaints for NetBank as, as a whole. Okay, well, you look, you you have every right to go back, and I would go back to them. Let, let me say this: you did mention the bank. You did say NetBank. Yes. Now, let me tell you, it's amazing that this program, uh, there are organizations that pick up any of these sort of complaints on radio, and I have no doubt about it, that someone will call me or call you, um, if you give us your number of air, and they will pick this, this complaint up on radio. That's what happens. They, they, they have these watch bodies, who, who, watchdogs are the watch bodies, who actually pick this up. So if you give your number, please, to our studio, um, okay. I will let you know who, what you need to do from here. Okay. All right. All okay. right. Thanks so but, but, much. But let me just warn everyone else. You, you know, there are no philanthropists. When you're buying a product, 
you're always going to end up paying some fees. It's incumbent on the financial advisor to clearly explain to you what those fees are about, who's earning what, and not only the fee that the financial advisor gets, but the fee that the institution gets and the fee that the investment house charges. Mm. It's all got to be on that record of advice. All right. Thanks for that, Brian. We're going to have to pause it there. I'm going to go to news headlines with Utsile Sako, and we'll continue with Brian after this. Hashtag SFM Talking Point. We're talking finance with Brian Hirsch, and I'll continue taking your calls or maybe uh, continue this conversation for the next eight minutes. The number to use this morning, 011-714-2006 in Cape Town. It's Colin. Good morning, Colin. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Brian. Morning, Brian. Brian, Hello? are you still on the line? Oh, no. It looks like we've lost Brian Hirsch. Uh, Colin, <coughs> thanks thanks for actually saying hi to Brian. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known that um, somehow he is no longer on the line. So the producer is trying to get Brian back up on the line. And there are a couple of WhatsApp voice notes, of course, uh, that you have also been sending in. Uh, and we will make sure that we play them back to Brian. I think you uh, still have a bit of time. The numbers to use there is 0614-104-107. That's 0614-104-107. That's if you uh, want to send a voice note quickly to Brian. So, Colin, let's do this. While they try and get, while they try and get Brian back on the line, in fact, I believe he's back on now. Colin, you can go for it. Oh, okay. I was going to say I'll, I'll phone next week again. No, that's fine. Uh, Brian? Morning. I'm here. I'm back. Okay, Brian. Brian. Uh, can you explain, Brian, what it means or when does one become financial free? Now, for argument's sake, like myself, now, I've never bought credit actually all my life. The only credit I ever had was buying my house, my property. Now, I'm on pension. I get a quite a good pension. I'm on my own, everything like that. Can, can I class myself as financial free? Because whatever I want to do is... If I want to buy something, no matter what, 2,000 rand, 1,000, anyway, I'll pay cash for it. So am I classed as financial free? Okay. Can you explain what financial free means? Colin, it's financial freedom. Freedom, and it freedom. means that you have sufficient funds set aside to, cal- to calculate that as we, as, because of longevity, we don't know how long you're going to live, and secondly, because of inflation, I've got sufficient monies to last me through well into my 90s. It's a very simple formula that you can put into, I can put into my machine and get an actual number. That's financial freedom. But then financial freedom is also affected by behavior because people who have that financial freedom, suddenly they take some of their capital. I had a phone call today from an individual who's got financial freedom, but he needs to buy a car and it's going to cost him about 300,000 rand. He asked me to calculate how much, how will that affect his, his financial monthly income. It's going to affect him by 2,000 rand a month, and he doesn't have that. He needs that 2,000 rand. So by doing what he's going to do, he actually reduces his financial freedom because he's now going to have 2,000 rand less a month, and he's going to be eating into capital. And then financial freedom is also when you calculate what else you want to do in life, that you haven't done when you're in retirement and that you've got those funds to spend. You know, we talk about 
important about having enough to live on, but there are other things in life that you may want to do. And absolute financial freedom is when that happens. Hope that helps, Colin. Thanks a lot, Brian. Thanks. All right. Bye. Thanks for that call, Colin. Bye-bye. A couple of WhatsApp voice voice notes, also questions for Brian. Um, Brian, I'll play one you can answer, and then we'll take one more. I think that's all we'll, we're going to have time for for today. Morning, Kathy. Speaking to Elias. I just want to ask Brian something. Bought a house on action. It was a dilapidated house. Improved it. Uh, now I want to sell 500000 That's the value at the moment. If Brian can just tell me, how do I go about uh, or how does the capital gains tax work when I sell the house? Will it be based on 500 minus 50 or must I get all my receipt up, construction and all that, just to get it reduced, the capital gains tax? Thank you. It's Elias Sinmabopani. Okay, Elias, well, let me answer that for t- in two ways. If it's your primary residence, which this one isn't, so I just don't want to confuse anyone, the first 2 million rand of your primary residence is not subject to capital gains tax. If it's an investment property, then it's all subject to capital gains. So your purchase price, together with all improvements, not general running, but all improvements is calculated at one level, and then what you sell the property is the, the difference. But you get the first 40,000 rand in a year free of capital gains tax. So you mentioned 500, you mentioned 50. Let's assume you spent 100 on it, so that's 150. The difference between 150 and 500 is 350 less your annual allowance of 40. You would pay capital gains of 300 on 310. But that's only the starting point. You only pay on your tax levy on only 40% of the gain. So on a 310,000, your tax is about will be 40% of 310 is 124,000. That will now be added to your taxable income, and you probably, depending on your taxable income. Uh, you will pay. You will pay that additional tax. It works out to a maximum of 18% on the gain. Only on the gain. If I work out the 40% on the gain and then your tax, maximum of 18. Your tax rates are lower. The tax will be less than 18% of the gain. Hello. Hi, Brian. I'm still here. We're, que- we're queuing up uh, another WhatsApp voice note. Um, hi, Kathy. Um, I used to have a student loan which costs about uh, 5,000 Rand. And I've soon paid it off and I haven't bought a car yet. So my salary, so I, what I mean is I have that 5,000 Rand per month now that I used to pay my student loan with. And I, don't, I have no other commitments. I don't have a car or a bond. And I'm, because I'm using public transport, so it's working for me now. So I don't want to buy a car yet, but I have this 5,000 Rand that I used to pay and I'm not paying anymore. So can you ask the gentleman, um, what can I do with this 5,000 Rand a month? I'm, I want to continue saving it. I'm, I'm saving it, but it's sitting there in the bank. And yeah, so I just want to know if um, there is a, a lucrative investment that he can suggest for me. Thank you. Okay, well, it all depends on your time horizon. 
if you've got that 5,000 rand available and you want to use it in the next year to three, that means one to 36 months, you can't go very aggressive. You've got to be quite conservative. And there you can look at uh, what we call stable funds and income funds. Uh, all re- yielding, although there's some risk in it because it's a combination of money market instruments, government bonds, and investments. So there is a little bit of a risk, but I think it's a much more, if, you, if you've got a one to three year time horizon, you can look at that. If you've got a longer time horizon, you're going to be much more balanced. And if you've got a seven year upward time horizon, you're going to be much more growth orientated. So it's quite, a, it's quite a large question. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I think it's a good starting point for next week to talk about the type of investments you should be looking on a one to three year three to five year and five year upwards. And I think if, with your permission, Kathy, I'll do that next week. Although I think next week is, we'll, is next Tuesday is we answer all the questions. So it looks like mm-hmm. we'll hold that over for the Tuesday after that. Sounds absolutely good to me, Brian. Uh, no problem with doing that. Uh, and of course, for all uh, our listeners who would like to get in touch with you beyond the program uh, in terms of financial advice or any matters that uh, you could be able to assist them with. What are your contact details, Brian? Yeah, please phone. If my radio line is 011-880-4888. Please leave all your details, your phone numbers and where you're phoning from, because if I can't get hold of you, I will then pass your message on to someone in your area. And often you don't, I can't get hold of you and you don't leave the area that you're phoning from. Please end the question. Thanks, Kathy. 011-880-4888. Brian, it is always a pleasure and I'm looking forward to next week. Thanks, Kathy. All the best. Take care. All right, Brian Hirsch there. And of course, he is our resident financial guru. Uh, always gives really solid financial advice. So.